The NFL draft has come and gone, leaving behind a fresh set of data to help us size up the player development prowess of your favorite college football team. But even as they watched their former stars go pro, college football coaches across the country were hard at work recruiting the first round picks of 2021 and beyond. On that score, it was Ohio State who landed one of the 10 best prospects in the class of 2019 last weekend, making life difficult for Tom Herman and the Texas Longhorns in the process. It's May 1st, my name is Connor Tapp, and you are listening to the 24-7 Sports Morning Blitz, an audio espresso shot of college football news to help you start the day. As they do every year, the SEC placed more players than any other conference into the 2018 NFL Draft. And surprise, surprise, reigning national champions Alabama led the way with 12 overall picks. But are there any worthwhile conclusions to be reached from another year of draft data? 24-7 Sports National College football writer Chris Hummer joins us now. Chris, it seems like every year after the NFL draft, we spend the next week hollering online about a Paul Feinbaum show graphic displaying the number of players drafted from the SEC compared to every other conference. Danny Cannell will quote tweet the Feinbaum tweet and say, yeah, but the SEC has more teams. And then someone else will say, yeah, but even if you look at draft picks per team, the SEC still wins. Chris, any reason to think this year's draft results will produce a new narrative or is it just more of the same? I think it's a little bit of more of the same, but I think there is something to be said about the SEC producing as many NFL players as they have. Um, I always like to look at the per conference average as opposed to, um, or the per team average as opposed to the uh, entire conference total, because the entire conference total can be really misleading, especially when you're looking at the Big 12 having 10 teams as opposed to like the Big 10 having 14. The SEC is still ahead by a wide margin even to do that. They have 3.8 players per school as opposed to like the Big 12, which has two, and the Big 10 with a comparable number of teams having 2.3. So I think if at this point, if you're still looking for a conference that's going to get you the NFL, the SEC does that have that selling point in terms of telling recruits that they get them the NFL. But even that is a little misleading because if you take away Alabama's 12 players, then the numbers kind of return to earth a little bit. I think what you're seeing is a school like Alabama being the exception and other schools and other conferences may, maybe not pulling their weight. Uh, for instance, Texas over the last few years hasn't had that many draftees. They had four this year, but Texas not being good and Texas not being what it's supposed to be weighs down the Big 12's averages. So it looks really out of whack when in reality – like the Big 12's other schools are producing what they normally should. Like Oklahoma State had four draftees this year. That's pretty good for Oklahoma State. But when your big schools aren't carrying the weight, it kind of uh, weighs the whole conference down. So I've kind of had, I've always had the thought where you have to look deeper into the numbers to actually be able to take something away. But in this case, I think there is justification for saying that the SEC is the leader and NFL draft producers at this point. And I don't think anybody could really question that if you look at the data from the last like 10 or 12 years. So the SEC generally has the best players coming into college, pretty much always has the most players drafted. But in the past five or so years, the SEC has lost its upper hand when it comes to actually winning games on the football field. Do you have any pet theories as to what might be happening in between there? Maybe this is too simple, but I think Alabama's dominance really starts to kind of weigh down programs. I think five years ago, I think the SEC West was out with, without question the strongest conference in America. And in the time since, you've seen, I think, 
five of the seven teams in that division change head coaches. Gus Malzahn almost left this offseason, too, for Arkansas. Had those last couple games been a little different, you might be seeing six out of seven within five years. And it wasn't too long ago that Texas A&M and Johnny Manziel was winning a Heisman. You had Auburn winning a national championship a couple years ago. LSU is supposed to be a perennial contender, and yet you've kind of seen Nick Saban wear down the rest of the conference. Obviously, last year, Georgia was the exception, but you could argue that Georgia's always kind of been the sleeping giant, and then they hired one of Nick Saban's uh, protégés, probably the most prized one. Kirby waited for that job to open before he went, and then they had success. So I think it's just a matter of like schools getting beaten down to the point where they have to reset their program build, and that's what's happened in the SEC the last few years. Are there any individual college teams feeling especially good or bad about the number of players they had taken in the NFL draft? I mean, I think you have to point out Alabama first. They had 12 players drafted, which is incredible. I think I saw a stat which said their entire 2016 starting defense got drafted within the last two years. And that's just kind of insane when you think about it. That They had 11 NFL starting defenders on that 2016 defense against Clemson that year. That's insane. But um, I think, honestly, NC State had seven players drafted. Wow. And I don't think anybody's going to mention NC State, but Dave Dorian does an excellent job developing. And they don't recruit the same type of players that Nick Saban does at Alabama, but they produce seven draft picks. I think five or five out of seven members of the front seven, I believe, were drafted in the NFL this year, and that's pretty incredible on its own. So shout-out to, shout to Dave Dorian and NC State. A very popular tweet format on NFL Draft Weekend is to make a claim about recruiting rankings being unimportant when a former two-star walk-on gets drafted. But Chris, you dug a little bit into the numbers for a story on 247sports.com on Monday. What did you find? So in general, people like to point out that walk-on players and underrated recruits, three and star and below, get drafted more frequently. And that does happen in the NFL Draft. Like, for example, in this year's draft class, there were... 106 three-star players drafted as opposed to 19 five-star. But you also have to remember the amount of players that were originally five-star recruits as opposed to the amount of players that were three-star recruits. So, for example, there were 33 five-star players in the 2014 class, and there were 1,541 three-star players in that class. And if you put percentages on that, that means 57 to 58% of five-star players are getting drafted by the NFL at the end of the day, whether it's in the first round or the seventh as opposed to three-star players where you're seeing 5 to 7% of players being selected. And that's the context you have to have in terms of recruiting rankings. So I don't think anybody's going to tell you that recruiting rankings are an exact predictor of future success, but they are the best kind of um, benchmark we have in terms of predicting four or five years out who's going to play in the NFL and who isn't. Chris Hummer is a national college football writer for 24-7 Sports. You can find him on Twitter at Chris underscore Hummer. Chris, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on. In the end, I've watched a lot of people go to Texas with a ton of ability and maybe not achieve what I thought they could. I didn't want to be one of those guys. Those are the words of five-star wide receiver Garrett Wilson, a native of Austin, Texas, who committed to Ohio State over the weekend. The fact that the Buckeyes snatched Wilson right out from under the Longhorns' noses, combined with some comments Wilson made in the aftermath of his commitment, have reopened some of the long, festering wounds to Texas's public perception. We're joined now by 24-7 Sports National Recruiting Director Steve Wiltfong. First of all, Steve, tell us what's so special about Wilson that we've got him ranked number eight overall in the class of 2019. 
if I'm banking on a prospect to perform on the next level, new Ohio state commit Garrett Wilson is a guy that I'm betting on caught 98 passes for 1,773 yards and 26 touchdowns in a dominant junior season for national powerhouse, Lake Travis high in Texas, the high school notable for posting big numbers on offense. Baker Mayfield was a quarterback there. Their quarterback this past year, Matthew Baldwin, signed with Ohio State in February. But their head coach over there, Hank Carter, tells me he's never seen a player like Garrett Wilson, and he's coached great players. He's coached against great players. And in Garrett Wilson, a six-foot, 190-pound dynamic playmaker, they're getting a guy who plays the game like he's six-six, has an incredible vertical. His catch radius, radius, body control in the air, and ball skills is off the charts. When he has the ball in his hands, he's very physical with it. He's tough to get on the ground. He's elusive, terrific hands. There's no weakness to his game. It's a big need for Ohio State at the receiver position in the 2019 cycle, and they go out there and land the number two ranked receiver in the top 247 player rankings. Steven, the piece you wrote on Wilson's commitment for 247sports.com, Wilson tells you that Urban Meyer was the game-breaker in his recruitment, and Meyer has had quite a bit of success in Texas lately with J.K. Dobbins, Baron Browning, and Jeffrey Okuda. What does Urban Meyer have in his recruiting toolkit that lets him lure these players away from home with so many big programs in the Lone Star State and in the states nearby as well? Well, he just puts in as much work as anyone, and then when you combine that with the fact that Urban Meyer is one of the most famous men in college football, uh, right there alongside Nick Saban, that work ethic along with his notoriety uh, goes hand in hand. But he's just a great communicator. He's a guy that uh, in the article Garrett Wilson says you think you know him, but you don't know him till you know him. He's just a normal guy that's able to relate with, with, with guys. He's a player's coach. Uh, players love playing for him and love playing within his program. And it goes beyond Urban Meyer, uh, offensive coordinator Ryan Day, receivers coach Zach Smith. Those those guys were also uh, very integral in, in Garrett Wilson's uh, recruitment to Ohio State. But I think at the end of the day, Garrett Wilson, he plays at Austin Lake Travis. He thought he would end up at Texas. Texas goes out there and offers some other in-state receivers before him. I don't think Garrett ever truly felt he was Texas's guy. Where on the flip side, there was no target at the receiver position higher on the board for Ohio State. Urban Meyer, uh, Coach Ryan Day, Zach Smith made him feel that way. And now he's going to a school where he said um, they're not. It's not a hope. It's a. It's a. It's a. It's close to a guarantee he's going to get to play for a program that's going to compete for a national championship every year. Ohio State has proved uh, during the Urban Meyer era that they're going to be in the conversation at the very least. Obviously, bringing home a crystal ball one time, and, and Garrett Wilson's coming to uh, Ohio State to help them bring home another one. We have Wilson rated as the top player in Texas this cycle, and I know it's just one player in the Longhorns recruiting class could likely end up just fine, uh, but do you think it eats at Tom Herman and his staff to not only lose this player, but to lose him and have Wilson go out and make some of the comments that he make has made that I think are going to stick in Longhorns fans' craw a little bit? Well, while Garrett spoke candidly, it's something where – uh, college coaches hear no more than they hear yes. Uh, certainly, you don't want to lose uh, a player that you covet and, and a guy that you think can be a difference maker in your program. But uh, Texas recruited, um, I believe it was what, the number two ranked class in the country, number three ranked class in the 24 7 sports uh, composite recruiting rankings last 
year. Um, and, and, and so uh, they're going to have another fantastic class this cycle. As you alluded to, there's a lot of top targets still uh, looking at the, the Texas Longhorns right now moving forward. But, but yeah, this is one that stings a little bit. And uh, uh, Ohio State, they're, they're, they're uh, going to try and beat Texas for a couple more guys in the Lone Star State before this recruiting cycle is said and done. Steve Wiltfong is the National Recruiting Director for 24-7 Sports. You can find him on Twitter at swiltfong247. Steve, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Connor. Talk to you soon. For a program that has spent the entire decade on a quest to get quote-unquote back, days like today can feel like a bit of a punch in the gut. We're joined now by EJ Holland to help get a sense of just how much of a setback this is for Texas. EJ, maybe losing Garrett Wilson is more of a symbolic defeat for the Longhorns than anything else, but how much does losing the number one prospect in the state of Texas hurt Tom Herman in his quest to restore UT to its former glory? I mean, there's no question it hurts. I mean, whenever you lose a a player in your own backyard, especially of that magnitude, I mean, it's going to sting. Good news for Texas is that wide receiver is pretty deep in the, in the state this cycle. Um, bad news is a couple of those guys are already off the board and now with Garrett off the board you know they really really have to zero in on some of their tar- big targets like Elijah Higgins and Dalen Wright but yeah I mean Gary Wilson in general I mean he's a, he's a super special talent uh, in my opinion he's a, the, definitely in the top wide receiver in the state as an argument to be the best wide receiver in the country and so I think Texas was close to landing him obviously they were his other finalists and, you know, Tom Herman did a, a terrific job uh, in his recruitment, but just came up short. I think Texas' history, uh, recent history, had more to do with it. I don't think you can totally blame Herman and this staff, but one of the key quotes that Garrett gave after his commitment was, you know, I've, I've seen players of my caliber from the state go to Texas and not reach their full potential. And that rings true. I mean, there's nothing wrong with what he said. I mean, a lot of players haven't reached their full potential, uh, you know, going to Texas, playing under Charlie Strong, didn't really max out. And I think, you know, with Ohio State, with Urban Meyer having the pedigree that he does, having the recent success that he has, I mean, for Garrett, it was a, a business decision for Texas. Like I said, it's, you know, it's definitely a big loss. There's, there's no way around it. But, you know, UT has done a great job with Herman. Um, they landed a top three class last cycle. I think they're capable of landing another top 10 class, but the bottom line is for Texas, they're going to have to win at, at some point. I think last cycle you had the newness of Tom Herman, you had the selling of the future. And, you know, while they can still kind of sell that, you know, they're going to have to produce results on the field to, in order to kind of get back on track. Were you surprised at all to see that kind of stigma that carried on from the late Mac Brown and Charlie Strong era that, you know, I mean, you'd think that, you know, what lack of development occurred under those coaching staffs might not have anything to do with what's going on at Texas now. Were you surprised at all to see that those failures, old as they might be at this point, are still apparently weighing fairly heavily on top prospects' minds? Not necessarily. I mean... I'm 26 years old, and I barely remember the the 2005 national championship. And you know, I do have good memories of this, of 2008. I guess when Colt McCoy and and that Texas team advanced to the title game, and they lost to Bama. But these kids, I mean, they were born in like the year 2000, so they don't have a, a ton of memories of 
Texas winning. I mean, most of their memories are of Texas being pretty mediocre. And so I think, yeah, they're, they're giving Tom Herman the benefit of the doubt. That's evidenced by last cycle's haul. But at the same time, these kids don't really know Texas for winning a ton of games. They, I don't think they consider Texas to be in that same uh, realm as, as an Ohio State or as an Alabama because they grew up watching those teams you know, win national titles. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm not necessarily surprised. Like I said, I think it's, it's time for Texas to produce results. We've been saying that over and over again. I mean, I think people forget that Charlie Strong, you know, he wasn't as active as Herman during the, the process of the cycle, but he did close. He's one of the best closers in all of college football, and he landed some great recruiting classes, but, you know, he never was able to win. It's definitely time for Texas to win if they don't win. You know, I think they're going to they're gonna falter, especially with, you know, Oklahoma being as dominant as they've been in the state of Texas' this cycle with, you know, teams like Ohio State coming in, with, with Texas A&M having that newness of Jimbo Fisher. So, I mean, it, it's more important than ever for UT to produce results. How much, if at all, do you think some of the comments Wilson made after he committed to Ohio State will make life more difficult for Tom Herman as he tries to recruit this cycle? Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know how much other recruits will put stock into it. I think every recruitment is obviously, you know, different. Um, I don't think it helps Texas, obviously, when you have a player like Wilson saying that. But I do think a lot of recruits really buy into Herman's pitch, really buy into his staff. I mean, you look at a guy like Stan Drayton, who's the running backs coach, and the pedigree he has coaching Ezekiel Elliott, coaching uh, Jordan Howard. You know, he, he has that NFL background. He was the coach at the Chicago Bears. So um, I, I think players look at that and look at the potential of the program. They see the one of the big things that recruits always hit on is the investments into the facilities. I mean, the locker rooms are amazing. EKR is about to get an upgrade. So they're, they're seeing it kind of happen. And I, I don't think they're necessarily taking a risk. I mean, Texas is a big, big program. Tom Herman has won in the past. He has put together a really good staff. Uh, but again, I mean, it all comes down to wins and losses. And like I said, each, each recruitment's, you know, different. And I think a lot of kids are still very, very high on Texas in state, um, you know, like a Dalen Wright, like a Tyler Johnson. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it's all about production. How important is it to restoring the image of Texas to keep kids like Wilson in state? And not just with him, but with guys like Dobbins and Browning and Akuda going up to Ohio State uh, recently. Like, how, how tied to the image of Texas being Texas is keeping those guys in state? Or is there just an understanding that, you know, Texas being as big of it as it is, you're going to lose players like that sometimes? I think it's, you know, that's a multi-layered question. I think that Texas, you know, obviously prioritizes the state. You know, one thing that Tom Herman really sold himself on early on was his relationships with high school coaches. And he, you know, that's a big thing in the state of Texas, more so than probably any other state across America. So that's something that he really did do. He, he visited with a ton of high school coaches. He's welcomed them with open arms. He's been all over the state at different events. He's always sent us anytime there's a Texas high school coach related event. He has an assistant there. 
he's also welcomed, you know, trainers, seven on seven coaches to campus uh, throughout the entire offseason. So he's really invested into winning the state of Texas because it's obviously uh, such a talent populated state. At the same time, I mean, you're not going to be able to completely control the state. I think they did as good of a job as you could do last cycle keeping guys like Anthony Cook and B.J. Foster and Caden Stearns in state, uh, especially when Cook was considered an Ohio State lead for a long time. You know, During the process, Stearns was an LSU commit that flipped to Texas. So keeping those guys was huge. Um, but like, you know, like I was saying, Oklahoma is going to have you know, its recruiting wins. Texas A&M is going to have its recruiting wins. There's, there's just no way around it. I mean, the state of Texas is just... You know, so it's recruited so heavily by, and there's so many different regional schools. Like, you know, the top kids in Louisiana, um, you know, all, all they know is LSU. The top kids in Texas, well, you have Texas, you have Texas A&M, you have TCU, you have Texas Tech, you have various major programs. So, you know, it's tough to keep all those, you know, kids, uh, or tough to get all those kids. Uh, I do think that Texas has the potential to get the majority of kids, again, going back to the production on the field. Uh, but overall, I think dominating the state of Texas is just one angle. I think UT has also done a really good job of recruiting nationally, and they not only want to expand their brand in the state of Texas, uh, I mean, obviously Texas is the flagship school in the Lone Star State, but they want to expand their national brand, and you've seen a ton of out-of-state offers. And last cycle, they landed a ton of out-of-state kids as well. So I think Tom Herman really wants to expand from a national perspective as well. EJ Holland is based out of Dallas, where he covers recruiting for 24-7 sports and Horns 24-7. EJ, thanks for joining us. Thanks, man. There's a new episode of The Morning Blitz every weekday. So we'll be back in your podcast feed tomorrow morning talking to the reporters covering the biggest college football stories of the day in a tidy 10 to 15 minute package. If you enjoy what we're doing here at The Morning Blitz, leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and tell a friend to check us out.